The Women in Agile podcast amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community with the intention to build a network of support among people of all genders. This series is powered by Agile Amped, a podcast from Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whenever you're watching this. Welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I am your host, Emily Lint, and today we're welcoming and chatting with Jess Brock. How are you doing this morning? I am doing great. It is a humid, uh, mildly rainy day here in St. Louis. <laughs> I, there's a lot of people that would be like, "That's a that's a bad start to a day." No, it's <laughs> but good. you're you're a rain person. I don't mind the rain. <laughs> hey, I love gardening, so it means that's one less chore I have to do later. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> <laughs> so at the brink of burnout, Jess Brock. Uh, discovery of dojo coaching renewed her faith in the possibility of providing meaningful and lasting agile and technical coaching. Jess has led over 17 dojo engagements spanning three countries and in physical and virtual settings. She is currently working on publishing a book called the Dojo Coaches Pocket Guide, Maximizing Immersive Learning for Agile Teams. Welcome, Jess. Well, Thank you, and I'm so honored and just grateful to be here. Thank you, Emily. So, Jess, how did you find Agile? (laughs) How did I find Agile? So I think Agile found me around 2011. At that time, I was working at Washington University here in St. Louis. I was a dev manager and had the typical pain points that a dev manager has, um, drinking from a fire hose, I felt like every single day I had fires to put out. And then on top of that, whenever we would release to our customers, which were internal to the university, it seemed like we never fully hit the mark. There was always rework or uh, this isn't quite what we wanted. Um, And it just sort of was a, you know, added to the cycle, right? It just perpetuated that cycle of just uh, soul depletion, (laughs) I don't know how else to put it, but yeah. So I had a colleague about that time who had joined the university as a, I think he was a project manager. He so happened to be pretty uh, involved in the agile scene. So he would go to a lot of meetups. He would participate in open spaces. I think he made a, might've blogged. He was really into it and and intrigued by it. Um, And, you know, as we would sit down and have our coffee and do our, you know, our talking and venting, uh, he started sort of gently nudging me in the direction of Agile. And to be really honest, I was a huge skeptic, huge. I was like, this is just snake oil. This is not going to last. It's another trend. Get out of here. If you're not going to, you know, produce anything that's productive or give me any sort of um, anything to clear this backlog and make this pain stop, I didn't want to hear it, right? Eventually, um, I finally caved caved in. God bless him for being so persistent. But we would have our sort of, we'd meet like biweekly at the same coffee shop. And eventually, I just snapped one day. I'm like, you know what? You keep saying this over and over again. There's got to be something to it. I trust you. You're a smart person, and I value your opinion. Let's. How would we even start this? And the the premise was, let's just you know try it. It's not going to hurt to try it at this point. (laughs) Um, You know, how can it get worse? Right? Really is the. (laughs) 
is the point. Right? Agile, how could it get worse? Yeah. Well, that's the, where I was, right, with the sort of uh, Big Bang releases and this sort of um, just cluster. Anyway, so we gave it a try. He facilitated some forming exercises with my team, um, and they were really, honestly, really simple in hindsight. I mean, I think we did our first retrospective. Then he did some overview of um, Kanban. Uh, we, we started with Kanban, and uh, we started you know, breaking just a few things down into stories. And were they split perfectly? Absolutely not. We were like deer, uh, little baby deer with the little wobbly legs. Of course, right? But we did it. The interesting thing is, is that it sort of, this is the biggest game. Long story short, because I know this podcast isn't about how um, you know, I became an agile believer, but we were able to, in the near term, start collaborating very closely with our customers, and that instantly translated into true value being delivered. Less rework equals happier teams, happier people, people who want to come to work, they're proud of their work. And so, and then, I mean, from there, we started to become more efficient, and it just one thing built on the other. So, it was wonderful, and I am still building on that journey to this day, all of, what, 11 years later. And, um, yeah, that brought me to Women in Agile. <laughs> Long journey. Fantastic. Yeah, no, but um, but it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a lot of people, though, drinking from the, drinking from the fire hose. And then, you know, going from actually starting to see the benefits and making very, very simple changes to, um, you know, being really entrenched in the dogma, <laughs> as it were yourself. So, yep. um, so you know, speaking about those 11 years, um, what have you observed about the role of women in the Agile community over the years? That is a really good question. Um, so, I have observed just so... I know we're trying to change this. A lot of us are, probably most of us, if not all of us. But agile, when you think of agility and you think of uh, agile in a professional sense, you kind of think of IT, right? It's still very much uh, dominating that sector. Um, and just IT and technology in general is severely underrepresented by women. So by proxy, agile is underrepresented uh, by women, and that's what I've observed. Um, I have observed a few years ago a shift to where it's more inclusive. Um, I'm seeing more women in technical roles. I'm seeing more women in agile coaching roles and architect roles. Um, and I think it's just it's going to take time to get it to um, you know to where we flip it and it's not underrepresented anymore. But I think the progress is, is being made, and I think actually podcast and, you know, just examples being set, such as, you know, Women in Agile, and I promise they didn't pay me to say that, help build that narrative. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just, you know, you, you get familiar with something, you see that example, people get inspired, it's magical and beautiful, that whole thing. Uh, back in, I want to say 2012, 2013, I actually mentored for a program at WashU while I was still employed there. Um, and it was um, a program around getting, pe getting women into technology. 
um, whether they're in technology and they want to kind of get more into a leadership position or they want to transition into tech, knowing that uh, the market very much indicates a lot of demand there and it just is historically very male dominated. I mean, if you think about it, the Agile Manifesto, there's not one woman. <laughs> there's not one woman that's a, that's a signee. If you look at some of the major mm-hmm. consultancies, um, I will not name them, but um, not the global giants, but the ones that are boutique consultancies that are very prominent, especially in the United States, all their leadership, even their blogs are not written by women. Uh, so they're, they're lead, you know, you'll see, um, I think I actually reached out to one of their founders and just made the comment. It's like, boy, it would be really, really cool if we could see women being represented and hear their voices, um, added to, uh, your content because they are pretty prominent, um, producer of agile, I don't know, media, right? So, and that, that led to a beautiful conversation and I really very much appreciate that, that person's time. But, um, anyway, yeah, that's my two cents on women in agile is is that we've made progress, but it's still, it's still not there. Yeah. No. And I, I, I love that. I love that you also like took a hand at being at that personal advocacy Mm -hmm. and noticing that difference and then telling that person, because I do, you know, it's like the invisible privilege to a lot of people. If you don't personally struggle with that, if that's not a part of your perspective of the world, you're not going to see it. Like I notice when I step into a room and I'm the only woman, most of the men don't. Like, yeah. and, and I've observed this multiple times throughout my career, you know, and there's examples of like, like if you think about a dev team, you think about a bunch of guys and maybe one token lady, you know, and people of color as well in that, that like you think of a bunch of white men, you know, exactly yeah. <laughs> in, in a room versus like, if, if I think about it, if I walk into a room and there's a dev team of like all women that would be a surprise that would be a a new thing but Mm -hmm. why why would that be an unusual weird thing to see is like you know female scrum master female product owner all female devs you know i there's actually a quote from um, ruth bader ginsburg that i love that a bunch there's a bunch of people who don't like it because they think it's exclusionary in a different way but i feel like it reframes it reframes it where she was, she was always, she was asked how many women need to be on the Supreme Court for it to be equal, and she said all nine. <laughs> because we think it's we think that it needs to be some kind of cut and dry thing, but but it's weird that the country was ran by all male voices in the Supreme Court for so long. Yeah. Why would it be weird to have any point in history where it be women's voices? Yeah. No, yeah. that's pretty powerful. I'm glad you shared that. I, I don't think I'm familiar with that that quote, but you're absolutely right. I mean, it was the other way for so long, but oh, how dare we? How dare we talk about all that? Women yeah, you know, that's just the story of unfortunately the oppressed. Um, and when they try to rise up and get some power, there's going to unfortunately there tends to be uh, some friction for deep psychological reasons that I'm not educated enough to speak to but I, I <laughs> but I mean hey we're here fighting a good fight and, and it's gotten better and I, I'm optimistic I think yeah. it's, we're going so, places you know on that on that point too um, 
you know, what's kind of your advice moving forward? You know, because you seem to be a very strong personal advocate for yourself and for other women. How do you advise um, women or, uh, yeah, so let's just, let's just stick with women. How yeah. do you advise women uh, to, uh, to be advocates for themselves in this space? Oh, my gosh. Um, so I was asked by an intern earlier this year, hey, do you got any advice for me? And I, I haven't really stopped and thought about that before. And I'll kind of riff off what I shared with her. The first thing that came to mind is, you know, your internal voice, we all have one, right? That's your sort of, you know, yourself trying to tell you your true, um, your true feelings, your, your true beliefs, your true intentions. Always prior, prioritize that voice and always put yourself first when it comes to your career or really anything. Um, and I think that can help guide you to where you are. It will help guide you. I'll double down, darn it. It will <laughs> help guide you to where you're supposed to be and, and bring out the best version of yourself. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. Um, and, and you're, you're a mother as well. So like to, to take like the, the stance, I love that you're taking the stance of still putting yourself first because yep. I feel like that can be, can be really tough, especially for, for people who are, who are, who have a family. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to keep in mind that in the moment it's convenient, but in the long run, you got to think about the examples you're setting, right? Cause we're, we're kind of responsible for, um, you know, molding these human beings <laughs> that are going <laughs> to drive the future world. Right. You know, oh, so dear. <laughs> I don't know, no pressure. Right. Um, all right. So let's jump right into it. Um, but I did want to pull that thread a little bit. That was such a good thread. Um, so um, we're talking about some dojo coaching today. You got you got you're writing a book. You're, you've done your dojo engagement. So, you know, what what is dojo coaching in the agile and product sense? I got you. OK, I like this question. Um, so <laughs> let me just walk it back a little bit here and uh, say that, you know, a lot of us have heard of the term dojo before. And, um, and if you th you're thinking, I think I know what that is. Uh, it sounds somewhat familiar in, in sort of, I don't know, in traditional speak, it is uh, tied to martial arts, right? So I believe it means uh, place of the way. And in Japanese, that's what it translates to roughly uh, into English. Um, and basically dojos uh, are the halls to which techniques are practiced at a very sort of granular, um, deliberate uh, sort of fashion, right? We really want to develop muscle memory and create, you know, unlearn things, break bad habits, and then create... Um, good habits for the for the long term um i will say uh i'll make a quick aside to this not to get derailed from your original question but one of the biggest apprehensions i have about being a dojo coach writing a book putting dojo to my name in a professional sense is that i strongly feel that it is it's cultural appropriation um and unfortunately, there's no other way to describe this coaching currently. And I'm just one person. So I want people to be able to find me and find my book. So I sort of follow that. But I do want to start out any conversation with 
there we got to be better about finding of not borrowing from cultures to describe a thing right even though it sounds mm-hmm. cool it's very marketable we should say yeah like kaizen and stuff like yes that. And, you know <laughs> exactly and i know i sound like just another woke millennial um i so what girl same <laughs> yeah um you can pause the podcast if you like but uh anyway the, the thing is i just it really irks me personally that you borrow from someone's culture uh, especially when there's so many other ways to describe it. Immersive learning does not borrow from anyone's beliefs, traditions, cultures, customs. So wanted to do a quick aside on that at the top of this podcast because it's something that I think about almost daily as I do my job. I'm like, God, I wish there was a way to change it. And maybe maybe uh, they, there can be, but um, yeah. it needs to be called out first as a first step, right? I do definitely kind of like that in thinking about, like, so typically when I think about something as potentially culturally appropriating is when I'm using a word or I'm using a term or I'm using a style to be edgy or cool. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I feel like Dojo falls into that. Yeah. Like, we think about, we go like, ooh, yeah, let's not do it as a training or a workshop. It's a dojo yeah. because that's, like, cool and edgy and interesting. And it's like... <laughs> Uh, you know, like right. I can, I, you know, I, I feel like you've just like blown my mind a little bit of like, yeah, that is a little like culturally appropriating that it we're is. just using it as an interesting term without really giving a lot of time and understanding to like the reasons behind it and like the culture in which it's embodying and what like the deeper meaning to it. Cause I feel like I'm thinking about like, um, like the old Zen masters thinking about if two, a thousand years later their term dojo being used for like these little devs in a room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that couldn't you know? lift like 50 pounds or something. They're sitting there like <laughs> climbing a tree and, you know, I don't know. See, I'm, yeah. I'm probably closer appropriating right there, you know, making a joke so or being offensive. So it's something that's been so acceptable and personally it's a goal of mine to be more sensitive and respectful um i'm taking steps with my publisher to navigate this um i really want to do the right thing and even going beyond just you know asking someone who happens to be japanese or skilled in actual dojos and martial arts for sort of their permission or their review i don't think that's enough i think it's we need to um just stop doing it (laughs) And yeah. be more sensitive. No, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, so to get back to sort of that core meeting of dojo, um, so it, again, it's a hall where, you know, the techniques are practiced very deliber- deliberately and habits are formed and it's sort of, it's these are skills that stick with you oftentimes for life. Um, take that and put it in a agile team environment. We are... You know, we're meeting the team. You know, you hear it a lot. Meeting the team where they're at or meeting the person where they're at. This is literally, you couldn't get more epitomized. I mean, we sit down with them, either physically or virtually, and we're able to get right into their backlog, get right into their code base, talk about maybe their relationship dynamics, their dependency issues. Not in hypotheticals, not in concepts, not in hello world sandboxy. No. We're going to learn by doing, and um, and and sort of it, it's a beautiful blend of like intersecting learning and delivery, and 
you know, if you ever heard of eating your cake and, and what is it? Sorry, let me redo this. And if you ever heard of having your cake and e- eating it too, it's kind of that. I, I that's the way I look at it, right? And you know, it, it, you talked about my bio earlier, which thank you for that. Um, I was at the point of burnout when, in about 2019, I was so fed up with the commercialized agile. Uh, and these sort of things like overusing dojos or whatever buzzword we can, you know, use to sound cool and make it sound like it's transformative. I mean, how many transformations can you have? It's transform means one time means it's like a like a butterfly doesn't go back to be a caterpillar every year. Right. <laughs> and and, and it, it's like I was so um, just jaded and just cynical about the whole agile industry. I was about to just bow out. I was even questioning going back to school, changing away from tech a bit, or going back into people leadership, something, because I just felt like it was snake oily, and I didn't want to be with that. And I, and I couldn't, the biggest thing is I couldn't see the impact. It was just like, very cool, hurrah, hurrah, motivational speak, speaking, and nothing. It fell flat, right? And with dojos, it was very fulfilling as as me or for me as a coach because I'm able to see impact so quickly sometimes that day it definitely within um, a matter of weeks in the in, within the engagement so it is just getting down to brass tacks which is completely my style hey I'm from Missouri the show me state we don't like to talk we like to do and uh, it just it just it's just a wonderful thing and so and that's why I spent an obscene amount of time. I never even want to know how much time. It'll probably make me sick to my stomach writing a book about dojos. I mean, I just literally cannot get more passionate and cannot see me in a coaching role that isn't high touch like that. It just it's it gets back to the core essence, which is just people. You know, I think we get trip, tripped up on deliver, deliver. Um, let's get business agility so we can be com- you know, um, we can have that competitive advantage in the market. And that's great. I get it. Got to thrive as a, you know, organization. So, hey, I can have a job, right? But we, the people get lost in that. And um, it, this gets, the dojo kind of ties it back directly to, uh, you know, those roots in humanity. And so, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I could go about this, go on and on about this. It's my favorite topic. <laughs> I'm absolutely in love with the concept. And it it just, um, it really, speaking of transform, I don't like to use that word often because it is overused, but it has transformed me and it has transformed my career. That's wonderful. Well, yeah, we love the passion here um, at the Women of Agile podcast, so, or Women (laughs) Agile podcast, so fantastic. So why, you know, when, when... When people are thinking about their Agile transformation, when they're like, all right, yeah, I don't want this to be another transformation. We don't want to go back to caterpillars. Why why try to do dojos instead of traditional Agile coaching? So dojos are best for teams. So you want to stick at the team level because it's nice to be in this um, engagement. By the way, it's typically six weeks. Um, it's this engagement that, you know, you're all learning together. You're all getting more connected. So it's nice to have like your close unit with you. Um, and it, and it's much more sticky because if you get bigger than that, then there's more lines of communication and it's just complex. And this is more, um, 
targeted and, and um, high touch, intensive, that sort of thing, making use of that six weeks. Um, agile coaching, you know, you can get into sort of higher than the team level for that. Um, and, and sort of, and where I place agile coaching, my quick and dirty definition of it um, is it's coaching an organization on strengthening their agility muscles. How can we optimize delivery? How can we, you know, improve our ways of working? It's not centered on the human, uh, you know, an individual, and it's not centered on skill building per se. That's where dojos are a big differentiator. If you think about emerging tech, you blink and your skills are obsolete, right? And I, I know that sounds like hyperbolic, but it's not too hyperbolic, right? No, it's not too hyperbolic. <laughs> um, and, um, I coded four years ago, and you cannot, you could not get me to write code in this yeah. new environment. So well, you know, and I did research for talk. I um, I forgot how many billions. I think it was in the hundreds of billions that the U.S. enterprises, the enterprises of the U.S. I should say. Um, it sounds like a, I don't know, like an organization. In any Big case, <laughs> all those companies in the U.S., the, those whatever, Fortune, Fortune 100s, let's call them, they, they're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on learning and development because it is such a, it's a crisis. It's a skills crisis. We cannot keep up. And the, a dojo can help attend to that. Now, when you're trying to transform for the fifth time, or um, you know, get your get alignment across the organization. You know, look at operational efficiency at a higher level than the team level. That's where I feel like agile coaching um, fits in better. Okay, great. So um, you know, you've talked about some of the whys. You've talked about what it is. You've talked about in you know, six weeks. So how do do these dojos typically work? How do you kind of frame it, start to finish? Sure. Now, that's a great question. Um, so from the operations sense, so how do you operate a dojo? Um, and a shameless plug, my book, I do go into this quite a bit because my book is supposed to be uh, a pocket guide for dojo coaches, right? So, hey, let me pull this out of my pocket and what would I do when this issue happens? You know, or um, how do I run a dojo? And it's like an instructional man manual playbook type thing. But in there, I talk about, um, you know, a, basically a dojo roadmap. And it starts with intake. Everyone kind of knows what intake means. You know, you get a request. Or you can go out and canvas and, and, and sort of advertise and roadshow and get generate interest that way. But once you get your candidates, um, and each dojo practice is different in terms of, you know, the sort of uh, knockout questions, if you will. Um, and I can get into that. But you, long story short is you'll get through intake, which is this sort of conversation with leadership, setting the expectation with them, saying this is what a dojo is. And it's not like, hey, I'm going to go send my team away. It's we do need you to participate and support. And that means making room for them to grow. Don't interrupt them during the six weeks. Like this is very much they're not hands off because we will be delivering. Right. But we cannot do fire drills. We cannot do major pivots, major deadlines, that kind of agreement and handshake from the leadership and anyone who can influence the team, you know, whether it's their direct leader, RTE, uh, higher leaders, 
um, partners that might partner with the team to deliver. Um, I mean, it could be uh, UX people. I mean, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. Whoever depends on the team or the team depends on it, if you can get with them, uh, that would be great to, to, to sort of engage them and make sure that they're on board because we want conditions to be strong for retentive learning, right? We don't want, you know, half of the individuals that the team interacts with not knowing what a dojo is after they wrap with the coaches and then they just go back to their behaviors or they're not understanding of the journey right we want to we want to Mm -hmm. include them so you have that conversation you kind of consider the knockout questions Uh, one popular one is does the team have a product owner the team doesn't have a product owner not good not good to have a dojo because the product owner is a key role and sort of uh, the transitioning the team away from the dojo coaches, right, to wrapping the engagement, handing the baton off to the product owner or scrum master. Um, same thing. Same reasoning there. So, um, but if they check all the boxes and they, they, they are able to move forward in the process, uh, we'll sit down with the team. Uh, we'll have a conversation with the team about the dojo. This is what you can expect. Uh, I always lead with dojo is not rehab. It's, you're not in trouble. This isn't the last resort where we can't do anything with you, so we're sending you to detention, which is called the dojo. <laughs> nope. It's where good teams become great. It's a good thing. Um, a dear colleague of mine um, compares it to Top Gun, actually. actually. So to riff off popular news, you've seen the, if you've heard about the recent type Top Gun movie, it's very fitting. So that's where the best pilots in the world go to get better. <laughs> so, so awesome. Okay. So like you really, um, you know, starting off with setting, setting the stage and trying to understand kind of the, the buy-in for it, right. making sure that they'll have the space and the opportunity to really do this dojo. Right. Right. Um, making sure that you have the right roles, you have the, you know, the hard hitting questions right before you jump into it. And then you jump into it and you're like, all right, you're here to learn. You're here to do good things. What's next? Got it. So assuming that everyone on the team is bought in on the dojo, because um, I do, I won't move forward unless there's 100% acceptance. We do not want to impose uh, at all. And that sort of, there's a fear that if someone's not fully bought in or convinced, that that sort of will permeate and it just, there's other teams, right? And I hate to sound like that. I don't mean to be like other teams, like I don't value that team. But there's usually a better fit. We want to. We have six weeks, right? We want to use it wisely and and choose select the best team that uh, we can that's available. And so, say we select the team, which we which I usually do that with unbiased scoring to keep me honest. So I'll interview teams and organizations um, and rank them according to different uh, criteria. One is um, how willingness the team is if. If it's not 100%, then we're going to revisit that later. They're going to go down on the backlog sort of thing. If they, um, I don't know, if you want to align it to the strategic objectives of their organization, like are they ready to, um, are they ready to modernize tech or are they on modern tech or are they working on future business? Great. That's usually an unbiased way to bump them up in the, uh, in, in the backlog. So, or if their scrum master is fully dedicated or are they uh, three other teams, that's not good. Right. 
So that'll adjust the ranking. So TLDR on that, but that's how I keep myself honest is this through some unbiased scoring. And I could bring that back to the teams that might be lower on the backlog and say, hey, these are some insights, things to consider. Um, apart with intake, sometimes I will observe for about a week or maybe even a sprint um, just to sort of try before I buy. <laughs> so I give that advice to coaches. Don't be afraid to say, hey, can I just, you know, passively observe, be a fly on the wall and let's see what you can pick up on um, and see if that matches the challenges that the team may have uh, brought up when you chatted with them about what, what they would like to work on. So... If everything aligns and we, we get a team that, yes, let's do this, they're, really, they're ready, willing, and available, um, then we'll, we'll kick off the six-week engagement, and it is, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. It really is. Um, <laughs> we become, we meaning dojo coaches, myself, or my counterpart uh, that I currently work with, um, part of the team. We are, a, when we say immersed, we are completely part of the team. Um, and we'll, I mean, we're in the sprint plannings, the backlog refinements, retros, all of it, just like we're uh, 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 literally a part of the team. And we're there full time. Usually in the beginning of the dojo, it's more, it, it is high touch because we're trying to build that trust, trying to build that momentum. And then as the six weeks go on, we taper off. We kind of let the, we start taking off the training wheels a little bit. We'll watch and then we can course correct and things like that. In the beginning, it gets so high touch, we might even take over some of the uh, events and meetings and sessions just to sort of, you know, shake it up and, and, and also coach the scrum master. That could be an opportunity. Um, but, I mean, we'll get right in there and, you know, open up the code base with the developers and pair with them or refactor. Um, I try to add some focus to this. Uh, by doing dojo uh, goals or dojo challenge areas. So we define those as a part of a charting ch chartering exercise at the very beginning of the dojo. Um, and then that sort of is our our focus. Because once you get in, it's like, oh, we should do that. Oh, it's a, it's awesome energy, and I love it. Uh, but you got to, if you try to poke at everything, you're not going to get anything done, right? So <laughs> we have three to four challenges challenge areas, and we try to mix them to be uh, – diverse right some tech some agile that kind of thing uh at the end of the six weeks we start winding down we'll do a, re a dojo retrospective just so the dojo coaches have something kind of carry with them and it's more about the dojo engagement itself um and um i do tend to check in weekly with teams uh meet bi-weekly with leaders throughout the dojo to get everyone's feedback um to get uh you know, to make sure we're aligned and connected, um, particularly with the leaders. We don't want it to be like, yes, I'm a good leader. I sent my team to the dojo. No, you are a part of this. Yeah, You're I integral. No, yeah. I paid the money. Yeah. I it, sent the person. It's not my problem anymore. <laughs> They're not my problem for six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then during all of this, what I'm not mentioning, which might be of value to listeners, is I do try to find ways to measure um, these these dojo goals or dojo challenge areas um, so that we can um, see if we're making progress, right? Um, so that's really, really big. It's really big for 
leadership, usually leadership that, uh, well, all leadership, leadership of the dojo team, leadership of the dojo coaches. They just got to, what's the value, right? Like, you know, and, and I get that. I totally support that. I want to know, too. It, it adds to my fulfillment as a coach. So that it's not just snake oil. Yes, know? exactly. Yeah. See, so you're listening. See? I love <laughs> it. Um, I'm your first listener, really, this is, you know. This is incredible. <laughs> or at least on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then just like a quick, you know, thing on that. It's like, so it, a common concern that teams have when they come to the dojo is, man, we keep rolling, rolling over stories every sprint. And so we'll look at a churn rate or a say-do rate or velocity, depending on how you um, describe that metric. Um and we'll we'll take that at the pre dojo, post dojo, and then I like to meet with the. It's at the end of the dojo. This is going to be a hard right, just so you know. Warning. <laughs> the the where I find the true six, success measure. Right, we talk about how do you measure it? How do you know it's successful? We need some tangibles. The true success measure is. Uh, when I meet with the team roughly after 90 days. So I'll meet with them a couple times after the dojo. So after six weeks, we wrap. It's like a graduation. It's bittersweet. You became part of the team. You don't want to leave, right? You're like, where do I go on Monday? Because I'm not going to come to their their stand-up. It's a little disorienting. Yeah, I love them, right? And um, so we give it about 30 days. We'll meet. We'll check in. How are things going? Are we still progressing? Are we doing okay without the dojo coaches? Then at 60 days, then at 90 days. And at that 90-day mark, that's when me, as a coach, that's, I don't know, I mean, others might have different opinions, um, but this is where I determine if the dojo was a success or not. Because at that point, whatever behaviors or improvements that we went after, that's the test of whether or not they were retained, that they were sticky. Because you went that long without a dojo coach. Uh, and that's really, that's the goal of dojo coaching is long-standing improvement, long-standing behavioral change, skill development, that deep yeah. level sort of muscle memory type uh, level change, right? And it, it's, you know, it looks real good after the dojo, right? The metrics are, oh, it's awesome, you know, because the, do- the dojo coaches are there, right? They have that handicap. And it still looks good after 30 days, but after 90 days, if we can still say metrics have held or have even progressed, that's when I get proud. Tell me about one of your most successful dojos. What was the secret sauce to that dojo? Oh, my goodness. Um, that's like asking me what my favorite song is. <laughs> oh goodness. My most successful dojo. Oh, how about it? I mean, can I just respond with some highlights? Cuz I don't yeah, know if I could pick a favorite one. <laughs> um And and just kind of yeah, like pick some of your favorites and then, you know, what what do you think really made those Okay. successful? Yeah, yeah. So there was a dojo that I did for, um, this is actually interesting. It was across the pond. Um, I was here in the United States in the Midwest and, um, they were over in the UK and we were able to, even with the time zone difference, have some really, really good outcomes from 
the dojo I did with them. Not only was it virtual, which at the time, virtual dojo, dojos were still in question. I was like, I don't think this is going <laughs> to fly. You know, the engagement would be rough. But one of the biggest takeaways for them, well, two, is to this day, they still track um, their pairing through a pairing pyramid. That was something that we came up with uh, during the dojo. Um, and that sort of keeps everyone, it keeps track of, okay, what do we pair on? Who did I pair with to make sure that everyone uh, is, you know, trying to work with each other. And, you know, and that gets us more, um, I don't know, cross-trained. It gets us more familiar with the product. And it's also a really big win for efficiency because we can review on the spot, right? I got a peer sitting right next to me. So that was really cool. Um, we also did a lot of work with story splitting and that is still, to this day, they're still thinking of that pattern we went through of, okay, this is the way we're going to split our particular stories. So yes, we could riff off. Um, I think Mike Cohn's spider method is pretty, pretty common. And in fact, I probably put it in my talk to them to tee up the exercises for splitting. But um, we found different dimensions to where splitting would make sense for them. And I think they still do that uh, sort of process we step we, we put together to, to make their splitting uh, easier for, for their context. Um, they still do hackathons, I believe, the last time I talked to them in terms of, and when I say hackathons, it's like a one-day hackathon that we'll do in the dojo. So sometimes it's like it gets into the innovation side of uh, product. It's really cool, and devs just absolutely love it. it. I've never had devs honestly not love it, right? So you give them a prompt, solve this problem, and you get a pass all day today. We're going to hack on this and just keep noodling and figure this out. This has been a longstanding problem we've all complained about. Now we're going to do something about it. And at the end of the day, we do a readout and figure out what the best way forward is, and then we'll put those uh, that work into our backlog, that kind of thing. So it's very action-oriented. Um, so it's conducive with the dojo. Um, another dojo uh, success, this one gets into, so a couple of years ago, we had a team, and they, they started uh, the dojo with us. And it was, they could never complete anything. I mean, it, it, you could, they were not, it was, it, was, it was in, they were in bad shape in terms of being able to be at any level of predictability. And I know that sounds harsh, and on the surface, we're like, okay, we can we can fix this. And we, we think, oh, okay, what can we help the team with? The scrum master maybe isn't facilitating right. Um, what the problem is, what's the problem? So it was very early on that we realized the problem was the leadership. <laughs> so we continue to work on, you know, um, some DevOps challenge areas with the team and some other, you know, team-related uh, endeavors, but really we pivoted to leaders and we came back to them and said, you're create, you are the root of this problem. We could treat the symptoms, but we're not going to, we're going to treat oh, the cause. Amen. Right. <laughs> and we actually developed a leadership working agreement. <laughs> and oh, I, wonderful. I mean, I'm, it's been years since I've worked with them. So I, I mean, I don't know if it's still in play or the people are even still there, but they did use it. Um, as long as I was 
familiar with that organization. So it was there for a while, and it was bit is the we've heard this before. It was a disagreement in priority from IT and product or IT and business. So they had two different mm-hmm. versions of priority or what what they thought was an urgency. Oh, I think this is urgent. Well, I think this is urgent. And so they would blow up the team, bypassing the scrum master and PO, getting right to the developers. And the developers, well, I got to appease the bosses, right? And then that perpetuated that endless cycle of really not delivering, right? Uh, one more is uh, we were able to take a uh, team that had no DevOps presence and develop a pipeline with them a CICD pipeline with them. From what it sounds like, the secret sauce to each of those is like, you don't come into the dojo with an agenda. You know, you don't come in with it with like, all right, these are the different things that we're going to talk about. We're going to make sure your retrospectives are good and your sprint planning is good and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be like, okay, what, what are you actually dealing with? And let's tackle that, you know, instead of, you know, coming in with a prescription going, okay, what is the real problem? And then going and actually solving it, actually talking to leadership, building a DevOps pipeline, you know, things like that, that, you know, you're starting, you really are starting where the team is at and then focusing on the things that really will move them forward. Yeah. And I think you're right. I I think going in with just, you know, an open mind in the dojo um, instead of an agenda, I love that. And really the credit goes to the team's Um, Because if they truly are enthusiastic, willing, um, excited to grow, open to getting uncomfortable at times because we're going to unlearn things and ask like kind of tough questions, that has made all the difference because that vulnerability has been able to unlock that, the growth, truly. And that was, of all the ones I've mentioned, the the, the, uh, examples of success, that is a common thread as well. Wonderful. Yeah, the team really handling their own success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, transitioning, you know, um, a little bit out of the topic and us to a couple closers here. Um, you know, what are you doing for your own um, personal, professional growth uh, in your immersive learning? Ah. Good question. So um, I would certainly put writing a book, which I just finished the manuscript a few weeks ago, as in that bucket as professional development. Thank (laughs) you. Thank you very much. I'm convinced that nothing will kill me because that book didn't. So (laughs) I thought it was. Um, But no, I mean, there was so much research, as you can imagine, um, connecting with people and still connecting and researching and just so many doors open from from compiling that and writing it so that was awesome in terms of building my skill set and I hate to say this but I'm going to but being a dojo coach every single dojo presents opportunity for me to learn it truly does a new tech stack a new team dynamic challenge like I never heard of things like that uh, heck even you know working with some scrum masters they have some really neat icebreakers you know and it's just keeping that conversation and that constant curiosity uh, flowing um, I you know apart from that I mean I'm constantly I read articles every single day I have the same subscriptions I'm a I'm a, I'm a creature of habit um, 
And I think, I don't know, I'm not going to go out on the record and say I've, I've fully committed to this, but I'm thinking about, I don't know, in the next five years or so, uh, continuing my education somehow. Um, so yeah, I'm exploring that a little bit. So I'm the type of person that, and, and again, being a dojo coach presents itself or supports this completely, but I have to be learning. I have to be doing, and I think they call that, I just learned this word, ironically. It's a philomath. It's someone who's like a forever student who just gets fulfilled by learning. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. I feel like a lot of people in Agile could probably go under that because they're like, yeah, I don't want to be stagnant. I don't want to just sit at a desk. I want to keep learning, keep developing. Right, making impact and absolutely. And we got a word now. (laughs) Exactly. And if if I'm saying that incorrectly, which I may, I may be, I'd love to hear the correct way to pronounce it. Yeah, maybe. Um, I'm not even, I'm dyslexic, so my brain is, like, not even, like, connecting it. It's like that, it's like combining P and H's, I's and A's, like, all in a jumble. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, I probably won't be able to repeat it. I'll have to, like, listen back again. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Jess, uh, and for your wisdom around immersive learning and dojos. I'm very, I'm excited for your book. I know you put uh, the manuscript out there. Do you have like a tentative release date that we kind of like think about? Um, so I don't want to get in trouble. Um, <laughs> you know, from my publisher, I don't want. But I, uh, I'm thinking it's going to be early 2023 that's my bet hopefully a bit sooner but um it's in it's being edited now it's getting ready to be reviewed by field experts so once i see those edits i'm gonna feel a lot more hopefully well i'll know whether or not um how much work i have left let's just say that (laughs) that's fair fair. yeah so yeah uh, short answer to your question i think early 2023 well, great. Well, we're excited for you. Um, thank you for to everybody uh, listening. Thank you for listening uh, to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership with from the Women in Agile nonprofit and Scrum.org. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or coworker about the podcast. Please go online to the Women in Agile, all lowercase, all one word, dot org to learn more about our initiative and find some more inspiring podcast conversations like this one (laughs) thank you so much jess i love it thank you so much thanks for tuning into this episode of the women in agile podcast it's brought to you in partnership from the women in agile nonprofit organization and scrum.org we hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And as always, you can go online to womeninagile.org to learn more about our initiatives and find additional inspiring podcast conversations.